Ephesians chapter 4. If you have not been with us, uh, we are in a series called The Journey. We've been talking about uh, discipleship. That's kind of our our emphasis and our focus. And so we're going to continue that this morning. Um, I love the imagery of a journey because it makes it really easy for us to kind of connect some of the things we're talking about to this idea of a journey. And so just to kind of recap, uh, if you haven't been with us or maybe if you're like me and you have trouble remembering like what you did yesterday, this would be a good reminder for us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started the series talking about, um, talking about the journey, and we started with the destination. Because every journey, if you're going to, uh, you assess a journey, the successfulness of it, by did you arrive at your destination. And so a couple of weeks ago, we were in Matthew chapter 28, and we looked at Jesus' uh, great commission, which is just to go and make disciples. So we looked at the destination of this journey that we're on together, is that we would be a people who make disciples. All right, disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the goal of the church. That's what we want to be about. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then uh, last week, Andrew uh, shared with us from 2 Timothy just about the guide for our journey. Right? And the guide we talked about is just the Bible. Right Now, here's the deal. We're all being discipled in something all the time. So it's important that uh, as we consider what it means for us as disciples of Jesus to make disciples, we want to be about what uh, Jesus said and what God said through His Word. And so we talked about the importance of Scripture being our guide on the journey. Okay, And so this is going to be our third week in the series. And uh, before I tell you what we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you a cheesy illustration. Are you ready for it? Okay, you guys remember this. Get, get your hands ready. Let's see if I do this right. Okay, you guys remember this, right? Here is the church. Here's the steeple. You got to open the doors and see all the people. You guys are good. You got it. Some of you guys have taught like kids' Sunday school classes before, haven't you? Yeah. So here's the deal. Um, I know it's a cheesy illustration, but it brings us to what I want to talk about this morning, which is the people. Okay, now. We could say that technically the church is the people. It's not the building that the people are in, but that's besides the point for this morning. Because what I want us to focus on this morning is, is the people. We're talking about being on the journey. Okay? And the reality is, is we are on a journey with other people. Okay? So if we're going to be, if we're gonna be a people that, that, that are disciples, that make disciples, uh, my point for us this morning, I hope you'll see, is that it's required that we invite people along on this journey with us. Okay, you can't be like me a few years ago. We took our family to Disney. And at the time, we only had three children. And so uh, on the way home from Disney, I was, it was one of those where like, we're making it home in one, one trip, right? 12, 13 hours, like we're getting there. And so uh, we loaded up in the van real early, uh, you know, left Orlando, headed home. And so a lot of the trip, Kelly was in the back of the swagger wagon. That's what I call our minivan. And so she was in the back. And I was in the front seat, and I just put in my earbuds and was listening to podcasts, and I just checked out and forgot that anybody else was in the van with me. Okay? And if we're not careful, that's what we can do when we talk about this journey that we're on, is we can get so focused on our, our destination, like where we want to go, where we're trying to get to, that we forget that there's people on the journey with us. All right? what, what I mean by that is, is we can kind of go through life, the Christian life, just thinking like, my goal is to get to glory and try not to screw up before I get there. Okay? And, and what happens is, 
is yes, that's a good goal, right? We want to we get there. But as we'll see from our text this morning, we don't go on this journey alone. Right? There are other people on the journey with us. Uh, and so it's easy for us to forget that, though. Like sometimes we adopt the theology of Tom T. Hall. Anybody know who Tom T. Hall is? Okay, a few of you. All right, a few of you. So he's this great, um, how should I say this, Kentucky philosopher, singer-songwriter. And uh, these, are, these are some lyrics to one of his songs called uh, Me and Jesus. You guys heard that song? Nope, okay. Me and, here we go. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and Jesus got our own thing going, and we don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. So those are from uh, the pen of Tom T. Hall. And while I like Tom T. Hall, I like some of his songs, and even some more stuff in that song he says, that I'm like, yeah, I can get on board with that. The reality is, is Tom kind of misses it a little bit here. Because he's, what he's saying is, you know, me and Jesus, we got our thing. We don't need anybody else. And, and what I think Scripture would point out to us over and over and over again is, yes, we do need other people. Right? We're not on this journey alone. Right? And so the Bible would, would call us out of... So we live in this sort of individualistic culture in which uh, everything is about um, you know, what I want to do. It's about the individual. Right? Sometimes we worship the, the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. And what I think the Bible would do is call us out of that to see that, that we are on a journey with other people and it's in community with other people. It's where we grow and it's where we mature. Right? Community is the environment. Kind of like, it's kind of like a greenhouse right? where we grow and mature. It's in the context of community. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go ahead and go there. I'm going to give you, I'm give you my three points up front. Okay. Three points so that you know where we're going. Um, and the three, three things we're going to look at from our text this morning are this. Growing in unity, growing in ministry, and growing in maturity. Okay, so let's start uh, looking at verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So we'll pause there. We'll come back and jump around here in just a minute. But to kind of, for some, some context, I think would be helpful. Um, we did this a few weeks ago, but Paul sort of begins here with the word therefore, which means there's something that comes before this that's important for us to know. And so if you look at the letter of uh, Ephesians as a whole, you can kind of divide it right down the middle, right? You got chapters one through three, you got chapters four through six. And so like Paul does often, he spends the first kind of section of the book, in this case, the first three chapters, just uh, reminding the church in Ephesus of their identity. Okay, he talks about the gospel. He talks about some of the things we just sang, how they've been chosen, they've been adopted into God's family, and he's reminding them of their new, <clears throat> excuse me, reminding me of their, reminding them of their new identity. And so uh, the reason that that's important for the letter to the Ephesians is because they were actually a pretty diverse people. Okay, they were 
the, the reason, or excuse me, um, kind of where they were located when Paul went and did his ministry there. Um, first of all, it was the church in Ephesus was made up of Jewish and Gentile Christians. So you've got two kind of groups of people from very different backgrounds. You've got Jewish people who had, who had grown up sort of observing the Old Testament law. And then Paul comes and preaches the gospel and they believe or they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then with them, worshiping with them, you've also got uh, Gentiles who were people that did not observe the Old Testament law. They worshiped the false gods. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 19, there's this fascinating account of how the gospel is preached and the church grows. And you've got all these Gentiles who once worshiped these false gods. Uh, they actually shut down a segment of like the pagan economy because they're no longer worshiping these false gods. And so in the church in Ephesus, you've got people from two very different backgrounds, and now they're together worshiping uh, one God, right? The true God, the God who sent his son to pay the penalty for their sins. And not only that, the church in Ephesus, most scholars believe, were, was made up of um, smaller groups of, of people that, that met throughout the city. So think not necessarily one big, huge church, but several smaller gatherings that, that met all throughout the city of Ephesus. And so what you have is, is a very diverse people. And so Paul, as, he's, uh, as he goes through chapters 1 through 3, he's just reminding them of, of their shared identity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That despite all their differences and all the diversity, uh, because of their belief in Jesus, now they are one people. Right? They are one people um, together. And so then he transitions in, in chapter 4 here, and he begins chapters 4 through 6 through really this kind of practical um, living out the realities of the gospel. And so you're, if you're familiar with Ephesians, you get things about uh, marriage. You get stuff about uh, children. You get spiritual warfare. You get all these different things, but it's all rooted in chapters 1 through 3, which is just reminding uh, the, the recipients of the letter of their identity in Christ. But here in chapter 4, it's kind of like the hinge. And Paul begins, before he gets to any of the practical stuff, he begins with unity. Right? That's what, um, that's what the, the whole point of these, these first few verses are here, is that the people would grow in unity. Okay? And so Paul begins with unity, but here's the deal. Unity is not always easily maintained. Right? Some of you know this because you spent earlier in the spring, you were locked up in your home with your family, maybe for weeks on end, in close proximity with people. Maybe that tested some of your, your unity in your home. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Okay. But, <laughs> but the reality is like anytime you're in close proximity with people, you're in community with people, like our unity gets tested and it's not always easy to maintain. And it's almost like Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, knew that when he wrote this because look what he says in verse 2. He's calling them to unity, to grow in unity or maintain unity. And he says it, it takes humility and gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. All right, so it, it was true for the Ephesians, right, that they would need humility and gentleness and patience and that they would need to bear with one another in love. And it's true for us. Okay, it's true for us today because, I mean, the church, by God's good design, is a diverse place. Okay? Uh, there are people of every, uh, every ethnicity, every um, just different cultures and backgrounds, right? We all have different family experiences and different 
uh, even family structures. And then you got different, uh, different economic classes. You got all these different things. And, and what unites us together in the church is not uh, that we belong to uh, this ethnicity or we're from this background or we are of this economic class. What unites us together as a church is that we are uh, children of God, right? saved, adopted into God's family because of what Jesus has done for us. But with that, we're together from all these different backgrounds. So if we're going to live in community with one another, if we're going to be on a journey together, it's going to require some humility on our part. Right? It's going to require um, what, what the scripture would tell us is, is considering others as more significant than ourselves. Right? If we're going to journey together with other people, it's going to require gentleness. Right? When, when everything in you wants to just like jump or pounce on someone because you're angry or you're frustrated, right? it's going to require gentleness to reminded. We need to be reminded that, that Jesus has been gracious and merciful towards us. Okay? It requires patience. I've always heard that be careful not you know, be careful what you pray for. If you pray for patience, then God will put you in environments where your patience is tested. Right? And the reality is, though, is when we live in community with people, like it requires patience, extending to others the same patience that God has extended and continues to extend to us on a daily basis. Right? And then you got, I like this one, it's like the catch-all. It requires that we bear with one another in love. Right? That the language there is this idea of a, a sort of enduring with one another, tolerating one another. Right? If you've ever been in close relationship with someone, you know that there are seasons when you just have to endure. Right? Seasons where you just have to tolerate. Right? In the context of the church, as we strive together in community, there's going to be seasons where we just endure. Right? Our differences, our difficulties, we just, sometimes we just got to tolerate one another. Because it's what the Lord has called us to do. And it's, it's in community that we grow in these things, that we grow in humility, we grow in gentleness, we grow in patience, right? It's in community that, that we're sanctified in these ways. And so to make it really practical for a second, let me pose, we think about unity and what that means for us as a people and for us as a church. Um, let me just pose some, some questions for you, right? Do you speak negatively about your brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? Because to do that would, be, uh, that would not be to promote unity, right? How do you respond or engage when others try to speak negatively about other brothers and sisters to you? Okay? Or even let's, let's go outside of just you know, this local gathering. Think about other churches, right? We're all uh, kingdom-minded, okay? We're all brothers and sisters, one big family spread out. Right, all over the ends of the earth. Right? Do you speak negatively about other churches or other ministries? Right, now you answer that to yourself, but the point is that, that all these kind of get to this idea of, of unity. Are we striving together for unity? Now, is there, is there a place, is there a way to engage in conversations and, and criticisms at times? Like, yeah, there, there's probably times when that's necessary, but there's a way to do it that... Uh, that keeps us in line with what Paul says here. There's a way to do that uh, so that we bear with one another in love and we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All right, so as we consider the people on this journey with us, the first thing we've got to grow in, we've got to strive for, we've got to work for is unity. All right, unity. 
But that's not the only thing. The right, second thing is this. We're going to talk about uh, growing in ministry. All right, so jump back in in verse 7. So Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, well, let's just skip past that. What, what he does here in verses 8 through 10 is he kind of jumps back and quotes some Old Testament stuff. Uh, but I want to jump back in at verse 11. So, so Paul says that, that, um, that Christ gives different gifts. And in verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, I'm, I'm preaching from the English Standard Version this morning, uh, but like many of you, I grew up on King James Version. Uh, that's kind of what I grew up on as a child and what I uh, learned a lot of Scripture from, and so uh, you will never hear me say anything negative about the King James. Uh, but, but if we're honest, it is sometimes it's a challenging translation to read, okay? And so um, if that makes you angry, then just remember we're striving for unity here, right? Um, so, so sometimes it can be hard to read, okay? And, and it doesn't help that Paul, um, Paul tends to write in just long, run-on sentences, right? With just lots of commas and lots of punctuation. And by the time you get to some of the end of the things that Paul says, you're like, wait, where did that start? And you got to go back like two pages to find it, right? And so where I'm going with this is that sometimes in like some, some different translations, usually some older translations, they take these two verses and they the way that they, they organize it is they put a comma after the word saints in verse 12. Now you think, you're probably like, I didn't come here for a grammar lesson. Okay, but let me, let me explain why this is significant. So some of the older translations um, would read like this. right? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but uh, when you read it like that, what happens is it, it creates some confusion about, okay, what, what are the role of ministry leaders in the church? Right? Because he lists out all these different leaders. And so if you read it with some of the older translations, kind of the idea is that, uh, he, that, that, that ministry leaders are given for three reasons. To equip the saints for the work of ministry... And to build up the body of Christ. All right, that would be like the King James would kind of read that way. But in some of the more recent, more contemporary uh, translations like the ESV, they, they take that comma out so that it's, it reads like this. The, the work of ministry leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. All right, I hope you're tracking with me. If not, um, you can go back and listen later and maybe it'll make sense then. But the reason, the reason this is a huge difference Okay, is because if we if we adopt sort of the sort of the older sort of in, interpretation of it, it seems like all the work of ministry is to be done by ministry leaders. Right. So uh, to read it in the kind of the, uh, an older interpretation would be um, all you know the 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 pastors, the staff, the ministry leaders, the seminary graduates. They're responsible to do all the work of ministry. Okay, and what I would submit to you and what. I think if you look at like, the context of this particular passage and you look at what Paul says elsewhere about the importance of the body, I think the context would lend us to interpret it as the role of ministry leaders is not to do all the work of ministry, but the role of ministry leaders is to work alongside the saints, to work alongside 
other members of the body, equipping them to fulfill their works of ministry. Right? Now, that's a big difference between right, pastors and ministry leaders doing all the work and then pastors and ministry leaders working alongside uh, members as we all work together in ministry. Right? Those are two very different things. So um, the reality, though, is, is sometimes, even though we may agree with the latter, like we agree that, okay, we're all in ministry together, we're all working together, the reality, though, is that sometimes functionally, churches, and I'm speaking generally here, I'm not talking specifically about any one church, but churches generally have kind of operated with more of the, the previous interpretation, right? This idea that, um, that ministry leaders, pastors should do all the work. And so what, what I mean by that is sometimes churches have structured their ministries, uh, their programming in such a way so that, that it's the staff and it's the pastors that, that end up doing all the work of ministry, right? And on the flip side, then what happens is, is then you get uh, churches that are filled with, with men and women that come and sit to receive and consume and, and be entertained and not realize that, that man, our goal, all of us together, is to do the work of ministry, okay? And I'm not pointing fingers at, at either churches or at, at you know, the people in the chairs or the pews. Like it's, I think sometimes we're both wrong in this. Right? That we've adopted this, I, this idea of um, ministry is reserved for just some professionals or people with uh, maybe a seminary degree on their wall. And the reality is ministry is something that we're all in together. Right? We, we all have a part to play. And so... Um, so Kind of the illustration that came to mind here was, do you guys remember group projects in school? Anybody? Okay. Some people love group projects. Some people hate group projects. Um, but regardless, there's no doubt that a group project is easier when everybody's doing their part. Right? Nobody likes to be the one responsible for doing all the work in the group project, unless you're type A, and then you probably took it on yourself. But that's on you. Okay. So ministry is a group project. Like we all have a part to play in, in this work of leading people into a deeper walk with Jesus or introducing people to Jesus. We all have a part to play. Right? It's, um, the church grows stronger when each member is doing its part. Okay? Now, as a caveat, let me, let me, as an aside, I also know that there are seasons when for whatever reason, like, you hear this idea of, like, wait, I'm supposed to go and do ministry? And, like, that seems daunting to you. Right? It may be that uh, I mean, maybe you're just tired. Maybe you're broken. Or maybe you're weary. Right? Whatever the reason is, okay, there are seasons when it is, good for you, it is good for you to come and sit and receive and be ministered to. Right? We all have those seasons. Okay, but the long-term goal is that as you come and you receive and you're ministered to and you're encouraged and you're equipped, right, the long-term goal is that eventually you would go and minister to others in the same way that you have been ministered to. Right, this is how we one another one another. Okay? I'm getting ahead of myself, though. Um, but back to this idea of the reason the church grows stronger when we're all doing our part is because we're all wired and gifted in different ways. Like You are wired in different ways than I am. You are gifted in ways that I am not. Okay, whether it be like your natural talents and abilities, whether it be what we would call spiritual gifts, right? Gifts that the, the Holy Spirit gives to you whenever you are 
converted to Christ. Like we believe that the Spirit gives you um, gifts for you to use in the life and, and building up the church. Right? We're all wired and gifted in different ways. Uh, and it's so that, that as we take our, our different gifts and our different abilities right, and God knits us together in community as a church, right, we're able to minister to each other in ways that, that are helpful. Right? And so as an example, I had a conversation earlier this week with, um, with another church member. And so we were talking about just some things that um, ho- I hope to, to do maybe later on in the, the spring or summer months. And uh, she was kind of walking me through some of this stuff. But what I realized, she was really gifted in administration and organization. Like I thought I was organized until I talked to her. And now I'm convinced that like I have no plan for my life and I'm just a disorganized mess. Okay, <laughs> right? Um, but what I realized is, is that, man, she is, is a gift to the church and that she's, she's organized and thought about things in a way that I haven't yet. Okay, and maybe that I wouldn't have had I not talked to her first. Okay, but, but also in that conversation, she actually said something that was incredible. She was like, um, you know, we, we were talking about this specific aspect and she said, well, I'm not really great at that. Here's who you should talk to about that. Right? And I was like, like light goes off because I'm like, wait a second. So you've got this, uh, this woman who's incredibly like structured and organized and gifted in that way. And there's this other area of ministry where she realizes, you know what? I'm not as strong in that, but here's someone who is. Go talk to this person. Okay. This is how it's supposed to work. This is how ministry gets done. When you've got gifted people that are gifted on various different ways come together for one purpose. And the beauty of that particular conversation was that, was that she had been in community with this other person enough to know that that person is gifted in ways that I am not. Right? This happens in community. Right? That we, when, we're in, when we're in relationship with other people, we're on this journey with other people, what happens as we begin to realize, okay, here's how I'm gifted. Here's how they're gifted. And we, we supplement each other, right? So that we're stronger together, okay? And then if you're, uh, so maybe you've been in one of these environments where uh, someone approaches you and they're like, hey, have you ever thought about doing this or doing that? Because you seem like you would be good at that. Like you seem like you would be, you seem like you would be gifted in that way. Anybody ever had that? All right, one of us, perfect, okay? <laughs> right? Or all right, maybe on the flip side, this is if you're really in close relationship with people, um, and you've got to, I mean, you've got to be really close for this. You don't have to raise your hands because I don't want to call you out, but has anyone ever had somebody say to you like, hey, you know what? I love you. I love your heart. Uh, I don't think you're gifted in that way, <laughs> Right? Right? And it's good. Like, that's a good, I know, you know it sounds negative, but it's a good thing that we would be able, in relationship one, with one another, to identify, hey, here's where you're gifted. Go and do that. Here's maybe where you're not as gifted. Let me do that instead. Or let somebody else do that instead. Right? This, is, this is how it works. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. I didn't put it on the screens, but this is the idea, that we encourage one another towards our own works of ministry. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? This happens in community when we've got other people in our lives that we've invited to speak into our lives. Okay? 
So we've got unity. We want to grow in unity. We want to grow in uh, ministry. And the last one is this, that we would grow together in maturity. So let's look at the last few verses, starting in verse 13. So Paul's continuing his previous line of thought, and he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together is every, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So kind of the, the word picture that, that Paul gives us here is this, it's, like, it's like a physical maturity, it's physical growing up. Right? He says um, that we would no longer be children, but they would grow up to be mature men, uh, mature women. Right? And, and the point, obviously, is not, our, not literally our physical growth, but he's using that as an illustration for our spiritual growth. And he's saying that, that it's in community with other people. Right? It's on this journey with other people that we grow and that we mature into uh, what Christ has called us to be. Right? And it's not a work that happens alone. Remember, remember Tom T. Hall. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody else. Right? What Paul would say here is like, no, you absolutely need other people. Right? We need other people to pouring into our lives, investing into our lives, and we need to be doing that to other people so that we all collectively grow together. Right? If you look at uh, just the language that Paul uses here, he, he uses... Uh, this one pronoun over and over again, he says we, right? That we would all attain unity, that, that we may no longer be children, that we grow up together, right? He goes on and he says uh, that, that maturity is a work of the whole body, right? When, when each part of the body is working properly, the body builds itself up. So like I said earlier, and this is a group project, right? We don't mature by ourselves. We do not mature and grow in conformity to Christ, into the image of Christ. We don't grow in sanctification on an island. Right? It requires that we are, uh, we are in relationship with other people. Right? There's, there's no such thing as a lone ranger in the Christian life. There's just not. So, to boil it down maybe even, even further, the New Testament contains 59 different one another commands. I'm, I'm not going to subject you to me reading them all, but let me give you a few here. All right, so 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says that we should encourage one another. By a show of hands, how many of you need some encouragement sometimes? Yes, all right, that's near 100% right, agreement. Right, there are seasons when we just need to be encouraged. Right, and the Bible would say that it's in community. It's in relationship with other people. It's where we receive the encouragement that we need and where we give the encouragement that others need. Right? Galatians 6.2 says that we bear one another's burdens. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but life is hard. Yeah? And so there are seasons when we just need the help of others. Right? Like seasons where we are just 
weary and we need the help of others. Like seasons where we just have, uh, we just have needs. Maybe they're physical needs. Maybe they're financial needs. Maybe they're uh, spiritual needs. Right? And it's in community. It's in relationship with other people. It's journeying together with other people right? that we bear one another up. We, we, we bear each other's burdens. We, we prop each other up. We restore each other. Right? James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Right? Now, as a believer, you may be saved from the penalty of sin, but the reality is, is that you are still wrestling with the power of sin in your life. And as long as you are on this earth, you will be. Right? You're going to wrestle with temptation. You're going to wrestle with sin, like all of us. But what, what Scripture would tell us is that it's, it's in community with other people, it's in relationships with other people, that we confess our sins, that we pray for one another so that we can receive healing. Right? John 13, 34. Jesus tells us to love one another. Right? This is like the sort of the all-encompassing one another command. Right? That we would be committed, uh, like despite our differences, despite the diversity that we come together with, that we would love one another. Right? And, how, and how radical of a picture is that to a world that is like marked by hatred and diversity? Right? Like, I think that's one of the greatest evangelistic tools that the church has. It's when men and women from different, uh, different ethnicities, different uh, socioeconomic classes, different family backgrounds, like, that we come together in this place and we are committed to loving one another. Like how compelling is that to a watching world? Right, where everyone else is like, you know, if you disagree with them, you've got to spew hatred. Right? When it's in the church where we can say, hey, I love you and, and we, don't, uh, we don't agree on this, but I'm still committed to loving you. Right, that's, I think that's an incredible, incredible example for our world. Now here, so all these different one another's, and there's, like I said, 59 of them in the New Testament. Right? At the end of the day, you can't one another by yourself. You can't. It requires that you are in relationship with other people, that you are journeying together with other people. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push it even further, and this might get uncomfortable, but uh, I'm going to speak the truth in love, right? Isn't that what I was just told to do? You can't one another one another just sitting in a row one hour every Sunday. Right? As another pastor that I've, I've read and listened to before, he says, he says, you need to be in some environments where you sit in some circles, not just in rows. I'm glad you're here. I want you to come back next Sunday, right? But I also want to push you to environments where you're sitting across from other brothers and sisters. It could be uh, over lunch, right, at the restaurant table. It could be over coffee. It could be in the homes of, like, in your living room, right, your dining room table, your home. Like, we need to be in environments where we're looking uh, face-to-face, right, across the table from other men, other women uh, that, that, we are committing our lives to. Right? We need to be in environments where, where we can one another one another. Right? Where we can sit in a room and look someone in the eye and say, man, I, I love you. I'm praying for you. How can I encourage you? And how, uh, how can I help you? How can I bear your burdens? Right? How can I right? just in these relationships, 
And that won't happen just sitting here for an hour each week. Right? And so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get really, really practical next week and talk about here's how, here's some ways that this can play out in your life and in the life of Valley Creek. And we're going to give you some really practical examples next week. But, but here's where I want to wind down this morning. I just want to give you a couple things to consider. Right, first of all, we talk about unity and ministry and maturity, and, and it's all rooted in this community of people. Okay? Um, the reality is, is that happens in a community where our shared identity, our most fundamental identity is not, uh, is, is not anything other than the reality that we are redeemed, we are saved, we are adopted into God's family. Okay, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is all this that I've talked about this morning, where we want another, one another. This happens in the context of, of Christian relationships. Okay, so if you're here this morning, um, and you would say, Man, I, I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't know if I'm a believer, I've got some questions about that. Um, to, to put it bluntly, you're kind of on the outside looking in. Okay, but, but listen to me, that's not, that's not to dismiss you. Right? Because the beauty is that you are invited into this too. And the first step is just repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Right? The first step into this kind of community is not that you would get your life together, not that you would clean up your act, not that you would get uh, everything together in your life to make yourself presentable. The first step is that you would just acknowledge your sin, right? that you would uh, admit your need for a Savior, that you would believe on Jesus, that He paid the price for all of your sin, past, present, and future, and you invite Him to be the Lord of your life. By doing that, you're invited into this community. By doing that, you are adopted into God's family. Right? That's the first step into this kind of community. And so if you're here this morning and you would say, that's the step I need to take. I need to confess my sin. I need to admit my sin. I need to call on Jesus as Savior. Right? That's your first step. And if that's you this morning, there's going to be a time for you to respond at the end of the message. And I would just invite you to do that. Right? If you don't want to respond here during the message, I'll be hanging around after the service and would love to talk to you more about that. Okay, but the second thing is this. I've done ministry long enough to know that when we start talking about being in close relationships with people and being in community with people, that, that it's gonna, it makes some of us uncomfortable. Right? We start to squirm a little bit in our seats and we're like, oh, I don't know about that. Okay? Right, Tom T. Hall kind of flares up, like, me and Jesus, we got our own thing. I don't need anybody else. And I'm just, I'm going to be blunt with you again. I'm going to speak the truth in love. If that's where you're at this morning, the enemy has already deceived you. All right, if, if you hear this idea of journeying with other people in close relationship with other people, and something inside you says, like, no, I don't need that, then what I... I want to love you enough to tell you that if that's you, the enemy has already deceived you. And he's already got you right where he wants you. Right? In isolation, alone, where you are the most vulnerable. Right? So can I plead with you? Can I plead with you? Resist that urge 
to withdraw. Right? When you, you feel that rising up inside, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that because that might get awkward. That might get you know, uncomfortable. Right? I might have to open up my life to somebody. I don't want to do that. Resist that urge because this is exactly, exactly what God is calling you into. Right? Close relationship, close community, right? an imperfect community with other imperfect people that are committed to loving you and encouraging you in the middle of your own imperfections. Right, so conclude with this. Um, a quote from a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody heard that name before? A few of you? All right, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know his story, um, he was a German pastor in uh, World War II Nazi Germany. Um, and so I don't have time to get into all that. Just encourage you, Google Dietrich Bonhoeffer, read the details of his life. Like, fascinating, right? But... He was so committed to this idea of community and being in uh, close relationship with others that he actually, during kind of the Nazi regime in in World War II, um, against the government orders, he started an underground seminary so that he could create environments for for, uh, other young men to to be in this sort of community with one another. And he's got this incredible book book called Life Together, and it's just about... Right, what it looks like to, to live with one another in, in close relationship. And he, he has this quote in the book. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself He cannot help himself. Listen, on this journey, you need other people. And on this journey, other people need you. We can't do this alone because we were never meant to. We were never meant to. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning and... uh, just thankful for your word. And, and I have no doubt that when we hear this idea of living in close proximity to others and opening our lives to others, that that's met with some resistance. Um, we live in a culture that it values the individual, right? our, our own individual uh, desires. And so Lord, I, I pray that, that where there's any sort of resistance to this idea, of being in relationship with others, close, uh, open, vulnerable relationships with others. I pray that you, would, that you would cut through that, Father. I pray that we would see the value of, uh, of living uh, with one another, of sharing life with one another. That we, would, that we would want to live in obedience to your commands, to, uh, to love one another and encourage one another and equip one another and pray for one another and confess to one another. Father, I pray that we would be a people committed to living in relationship with one another so that we could push one another into a deeper relationship with you. So, Father, I pray that you would work this morning. I pray that you would move in a powerful way. Father, maybe there's one here this morning that, that their first step is to enter into a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that they would have the boldness to do that. So Lord, do, uh, do your work this morning. 
pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do and convict and challenge and change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.